Welcome to the Renegade Nutrition Podcast, where we discuss all things wellness. I'm Eleni Welch, nutritionist. And I'm Kay Boyer, health enthusiast. Hello, Renegades. Hello, Renegades. Welcome back to another episode of Wisdom from Eleni's Brain. (laughs) (laughs) Otherwise known as the Renegade Nutrition Podcast. (laughs) That's our DBA. Yes. (laughs) Good. Okay. What do you have for us today, Eleni? So today's episode is on the top five most nutrient-dense foods. Oh, Okay, quick off the top of my head. Can I guess? I'm gonna sure, guess. Ready? Guess, guess. I, egg. Egg's gotta be one. Is okay. egg one? I'm I'm not gonna tell you. Don't yet. say it. Okay. You I'm guess Kay's guessing. Egg, beef, avocado, <laughs> olive oil, and not licorice. <laughs> <laughs> and fifth what fifth one? Oysters. Okay. okay. I like your guess. Okay. I like your guesses. If I got all five right, you owe me lunch. Okay. You didn't, but, oh. <laughs> Jeez, I but I'll take you out to lunch. Okay, anyway. <laughs> no, I'm excited for this episode because as Kay and I were chatting before, I just was saying like, I feel like we've done a lot of episodes on what not to eat. Yeah. Yeah. And things to avoid. And we haven't done as many episodes on what you should be eating. Focus on the positive side, not the negative. So I know we've had a few people be like, okay, good. Now I know I shouldn't eat vegetable oils and I shouldn't eat sugar and I should avoid inflammatory, inflammatory, like dairy products. But what do I eat instead? have air for lunch air, yeah, yeah. <laughs> tic tacs and ice cubes yeah 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 you can't they're yeah. gross why would you first of all they're gross and then second of all and they're like filled dye. with like dyes yeah. and anyway yeah come at us tic tacs yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's so new <laughs> so we're going to talk about the top five most nutrient dense foods and originally this episode started out and i was going to do an episode on magnesium mm. Because if you listened to our episode on vitamin D Mm. last week, we talked about all the merits of vitamin D. And then I thought magnesium interacts with vitamin D in so many processes in the body. Mm -hmm. It would be a really good topic to talk about next. But then as I was doing research for magnesium to talk about it, I came across this article on Chris Cressers. That's always hard to say. Chris Cressers. He's one of my favorite nutrition experts to follow. I came across an article on his website that was talking about a new study that had been released that looked at the nutrient density of foods. Oh, And I just was like, oh, that sounds like a really interesting article. I want to go read it and see if it meshes up with what I think are the most nutrient dense foods or what I've read are the most nutrient dense foods. And for the most part it did. But it was such an interesting article and the way that they did it and their methods were so interesting that I thought this would be a really good podcast topic. So so that's what we're going to talk about. And so the information that we're talking about today is based off of the results from that study. Um, And I'll talk about the study and their methods and how they arrived at their results. But I will say that also it's not just like these are five five foods that I never would have thought were oh. were the top five. Like they are all foods that I was like, oh, yep, 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 yep. Oh, okay. you know what I mean? Like it wasn't yes. a surprise list. So it's not like this okay. list is like, oh, new research has shown and this is some novel thing. Like mm. these are the foods that most. Okay. It's a reminder, like come back and eat these things. Yes, exactly. Yeah. That in most of my research, it has confirmed 
many times. Okay. These foods are the foods you Please should buy. be eating. Okay. Um, there were some surprising things in there and I'm excited to share that too, but all that to say, it was a very confirming okay. study and they did a really good method, like methodology to arrive at the results. And so I felt like it was a scientific based way to confirm what many people have already said are the top nutrient dense foods. Okay. Things to add to my smoothie. Okay. <laughs> Once you hear the list, I don't know that they're smoothie, oh, smoothie okay. worthy <laughs> items, but you could try. <laughs> one of them is, one of them is. Okay, <laughs> okay. So just a couple of things before I launch into those foods and what are the top nutrient dense foods. I want to go over um, a few terms that are important to understand for the episode. So when we talk about nutrient density, what we're talking about is the concentration of nutrients and amino acids in a given food. So a nutrient dense food is a food that has a high concentration okay. of vitamins, minerals, and amino acids, essential amino acids okay. um, in a small or normal sized serving. So there are foods that yes, have a lot of vitamins and minerals, but you have to eat like 16 servings of them. Mm, mm. These are foods that are like one or two servings give you the most bang for your yeah, buck. It would be normally what you would splat on your plate. Okay. Right. So that's what we mean when we say nutrient dense foods. Um, and it's important because the, the micronutrients and the essential amino acids that are found in these foods are ones that we cannot manufacture in our body. Okay. So when we talk about amino acids, there are amino acids that are non-essential, which means we manufacture them when we need them. Okay. So they're considered non-essential. Then there are essential amino acids. And these are the ones that we have to get through food. Okay. And there are also micronutrients that we have to get through food. So there are some micronutrients that our body manufactures for itself. And then there are more that we have to get through food. Um, and so, um, when we talk about nutrient dense, we don't focus on the macronutrients outside of amino acids, which are the building blocks of protein. Okay. So we don't focus on carbohydrates or fats because even though they're important, they're, those are macronutrients that our body can synthesize itself okay. when it needs to. Okay. So nutrient dense foods provide the nutrients we cannot make for ourselves in a concentrated dose in a small serving of food. Okay. That's what we get. Um, and, and when I say that, you know, we can manufacture our fats that does exclude the omega-3 and omega-6 fatty acids. We do have to get those through food. Just that caveat there. Um, so another important term to understand when we talk about nutrient density is the word bioavailability. Mm -hmm. I think we've used that word sometimes in our yeah. podcast, if we've referenced the bioavailability of certain vitamins or minerals in supplements. What we mean when we say bioavailability is that's the amount of a nutrient that is absorbed in our digestive tract and released into the bloodstream for our body to use. Yep. So bioavailability is how much of a nutrient we actually oh, yeah. digest yep. and absorb yep. and can utilize. As opposed to what just goes through. Yeah. Yep. Right. So a food can have for example, let's say like a common food myth is that like carrots are high in vitamin A. So they are high in the precursor to like they're high in carotenoids, but our body can't use that form of vitamin A. It has to convert it first into a usable form. And that conversion rate for most people is very small. 
So when we talk about bioavailability of vitamin A from something like carrots, it's a very low bioavailability. Okay. Just so that we have clarity on that. So a food can be nutrient dense, but those nutrients aren't necessarily bioavailable for the body to utilize. Okay. So, so the biggest bang for our buck here. Exactly. Yeah. So when we're looking at foods, the most nutrient dense foods are the foods that have the highest concentration of nutrients and amino acids and the most bioavailable form of those mm-hmm. vitamins and mm-hmm. minerals and nutrients. Um, so yeah, I like this, this example I had here too. Um, we, we talk about like calcium from spinach. Um, so like, here's another good example of a lot of like, I hear, you know, oh, spinach has a lot of calcium. You can get the calcium you need from spinach, yeah. which it does have a lot of calcium, but the bioavailability of the calcium from spinach is 5%. Okay. So when you Google the, like the calcium and spinach, now you have to Google the bioavailability of all that. Right. Or no. Okay. So yes, spinach has a lot of calcium, but you're only absorbing 5% of that calcium, which means, so like if if there's 115 milligrams of calcium present in a, a serving of spinach, then you only observe absorb six milligrams. Okay. So six milligrams gets absorbed of the 115 milligrams that's present. Mm-hmm. So in, in comparison to something like a glass of raw pasture raised grass fed milk, you'd have to consume 16 cups of spinach to get the same amount of calcium that you would get from raw milk. Okay. Which doesn't mean I'm advocating milk over spinach. It's just an example of the bioavailability. So the bioavailability of milk, the calcium that's in milk is much higher than the bioavailability of the calcium that's in spinach, um, which I'll get into some of the mechanisms behind that. Um, Anyway, so again, that's not me saying, oh, just drink milk and don't eat spinach because there's a lot of things spinach offers that milk doesn't. But that's just what I mean when I talk about bioavailability. Um, And so I liked this research paper that I referenced for this podcast because they looked at both things. They looked at bioavailability Mm -hmm. and they looked at nutrient density and Mm -hmm. that's how they arrived at their conclusions. And I think other studies in the past that I've read have kind of failed to combine those two things. So they look at nutrient density, but they don't emphasize bioavailability. Mm -hmm. And so it's not really a representative collection of information because just knowing something has a lot of vitamins is meaningless unless you know you can absorb and utilize those vitamins from that food. Yeah. Okay. So all that introduction. So the paper, the research paper that I referenced for this podcast is called the priority micronutrient density in foods. And it's by Ty Beal and Flaminia Ortenzi. And we'll have a link to it in the show notes so you can read it for yourself if you want to read a bunch of scientific jargon. (laughs) And the main reason for them, the purpose of them doing this particular research and paper was they were looking at the micronutrient deficiencies that are most common widespread globally. Global. Okay. So global micronutrient deficiencies is what they were examining, especially in low and middle income countries. Um, and among population groups with increased needs. Um, And so the main population they were looking at was women of childbearing years, 
because that population tends to be the most micronutrient deficient, Mm. which I appreciate a study (laughs) that looks at women because so many studies have focused on men and especially women in childbearing years who do have a greater need um, for micronutrients. So many studies have emphasized men and a specific group of men, and it's not representative of the population at whole. So they went and looked at who are the most needy and what can we do to provide that group with the necessary micronutrients. So yeah, exactly. And then, um, they focused on the most common, commonly deficient micronutrients. So it's not an all-inclusive list. So the nutrients that they looked at were iron, zinc, folate, vitamin A, calcium, and vitamin B12. Okay. So those are the most commonly deficient vitamins and minerals. That's what they looked at in the study. So the foods that they say- Not magnesium. No, That's another day. We'll yeah, we'll do a podcast. I, I have I have feelings on magnesium deficiency okay. because I think that the um, status for magnesium sufficiency okay. is way too lax, and okay. so I think way more people are deficient in magnesium than we know. Mm-hmm. However, the studied micronutrient deficiencies that have been established are the ones I named. Okay, so I agree, magnesium should be okay. on there. And I actually right. do have I have a list of things that I know people are commonly deficient in at the end of the list, and some foods that are rich in those um, those okay. components also. Because I did I felt like there were other ones too that are important that I just think we don't we haven't outside of like the functional medicine world. So in the more conventional medicine world, we haven't necessarily established. Mm-hmm. all of the nutrient deficiencies that are occurring. Cause we don't know how much somebody needs yeah, yeah. of them. But um, so the foods that they emphasized in this article are ones that had the highest micronutrient density of iron, zinc, calcium, folate, B12, and vitamin A. Okay. So again, it's not an all-inclusive list, but um, the, the, the need to understand the density of those micronutrients and then their bioavailability bioavailability would help because worldwide we know globally we are most efficient in those nutrients especially in low and middle income areas um so then they aimed to identify what were the top food sources Mm. of those commonly lacking micronutrients um with the highest bioavailability so their goal was kind of if we can identify the foods that are highest in the nutrients that everybody's lacking then maybe we can get these foods out to people on a global scale and help correct those nutrient deficiencies. Let's do it. Start here. Yeah. So the way that they did it is they established um, like basically what they made was an aggregated global food composition database. So they took the most common foods consumed worldwide. Then they examined the nutrient density of them and they put them all in a database and then they ordered them from most nutrient dense the least Mm -hmm. um and gave like the basic like and they based it off of the recommended nutrient intakes um across five different population groups with varying requirements so looking at different population groups like men women childbearing women elderly men elderly women those that sort of thing that's what they mean by population groups um and then based on those population groups then they broke down the foods. Okay. So they looked at many different recommended intake levels, 
which I have some thoughts on <laughs> recommended intakes too, that they're not really adequate, which I'll talk about in a little bit, but they're doing your, you have to do the best you can with the information you have. So the fact that our RDIs are really inadequate is like, you can't fix every variable. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Start here. So, um, they focused on women of reproductive age and, um, the average requirements, which when I say average requirements, what I mean is the energy needed for a moderate, moderately active individual. So they looked at what do people need to consume if they live a moderately active lifestyle? So they kind of picked smack in the middle. So they didn't choose a really sedentary population need to study and they didn't choose a really active population need. So you can imagine that your needs, if you're very athletic and active are going to be higher than somebody who's sedentary. So they went kind of in the middle to study that group. And then again, they studied and focused on vitamin A, folate, vitamin B12, iron, zinc, and calcium. Um, And then they emphasize the women of reproductive age because they're the largest population group. There's more than 1.8 billion (laughs) globally that fall within that group. So women of reproductive age make up 1.8 billion of the population. And that is the population group that is at the most increased risk for micronutrient malnutrition, which makes sense. Um, And then the importance of emphasizing that group too, is because there's a lot of intergenerational things. So a, a woman who is in her childbearing years, who is deficient in certain micronutrients is going to give birth to a child who is also deficient in those micronutrients, then that child starts out life deficient in micronutrients. They continue to be deficient in micronutrients because probably if the woman isn't consuming enough, she's not feeding her child enough. Yeah. And so then that cycle continues. So if we can stop the cycle, exactly generational, if we can stop the cycle with the mother and get her the nutrient density she needs and build her nutrient stores, then she's giving birth to a healthy nutrient. I'm dreaming of schools having these five foods every day for our Mm. kids. Can we start that somehow? Me too. I would love that. Yep. I would love that. It's um, not a common, I feel like there are are schools in other countries that do eat these foods. Okay, It's a lot more common in in the U S it's definitely not foods that people consume on a regular basis. Okay. I did hear in France, they do fresh fish and vegetables every day at lunch. And I was like, oh, I'm going to send my kids to France every day. <laughs> I think we're going to send them to, yep. we're all going to move to France. A I know. Long bus ride. <laughs> and I get floating tires. We'll get there. <laughs> yeah. The U.S. has some work to do. Yep. We'll just say that. We'll, yep. Start here. Yeah. Um, so the categories of foods that they looked at, and I've lumped many things together within these categories, um, cause they broke it down further, but the categories of foods that they looked at were organ meats, meat, poultry, seafood, vegetables, grains, pulses, meaning like beans, lentils, peas, roots and tubers, nuts and seeds, and then refined grains. So they separated out and I separate out because they're really not the same food. Okay. Um, Refined grains from grains, but those are the categories that they studied. And the top five foods, the top five most nutrient dense bioavailable foods. Okay. You ready for it? Yep. Number one, liver and organ meats. 
I did not say that, but I get that. Okay, 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 okay. And you have a good hack of how to get that in. I do. And I have that built into this episode is how to get these foods into your diet. So liver and organ meats, number one. Number two, small fatty fish. Okay. I think fish. Yeah. Yeah. And we've talked about that a lot. This was good for me. Like I was like, oh, all the foods that I recommend to people are on this list. Good. Yes. Number three. So liver and organ meats, small fatty fish. Number three, dark leafy greens. Of course, leafy greens. Okay. (laughs) I totally missed that. Of course. Of course. Dark leafy greens. Dark leafy greens. Number four, you got this one, shellfish, including Number one in that category, oh. bivalves, which include oysters, okay. clams, mussels, and scallops. I only know that because you just went to an oyster fest. Yes, I did. Yes, <laughs> um, and number two within that group is crustaceans. So shrimp, prawns, crab, and lobster. Wow. And then our fifth item was beef. Beef, I, yes. Beef and okay, goat. They but, were pretty much tied. Okay, but eggs didn't make the list. Not in the top five because of the density of the of how much concentration within the size. Okay. Yeah. Okay. okay. And and again, this is focusing on what has the most of those six nutrients they mentioned. Yeah. So the vitamin A, the folate, the vitamin B twelve, the calcium, the iron, and the zinc. And so eggs are like one of the best sources of amino acids Okay, and amino acids in the right ratios. So they are very nutrient dense within that category, Okay, but within the realm that they were looking at of here are the most common nutrient deficiencies. Yeah. Eggs weren't, they didn't, they're on the list for sure. And I'll talk about that, but they didn't meet the most dense dense. Uh there were foods that had more of those particular nutrients in higher quantities than eggs did so leafy greens I think I did know that broccoli sprouts like in itself are a very high Mm -hmm. Kevin or my husband and I started to sprout little baby you know we did it one time and ate the sprouts and then it's like a lot of work to do it again but we have good (laughs) intentions yeah yeah Yeah. and then some honorable mentions um were okay eggs okay so that was sixth on the list. Um, canned fish with the bones, canned fish with the bones, much man. higher on the list yep. than canned fish without the bones. It's an important distinction. I try, but um, okay. I'll help you. I have tips on that too. Okay. Okay. And then dairy, which okay. included milk and cheese, which I recommend again, raw pasture raised. And when I say pasture raised, I'm not saying pasteurized, which is different yeah yeah right (laughs) pasture raised from cows raised on pasture i recommend raw milk which has not been heated and so it has all of its full nutrient spectrum without that being altered buy raw milk not legally not legally (laughs) (laughs) they're coming after you (laughs) you have to go out to the farm and (laughs) in iowa specifically no there are other states that um there are states that sell it in the grocery stores that wow. it's so legal. You can just go and buy it in the grocery store. Then there are states that you can't buy it in the grocery store, but you can buy it from small markets. Okay. Then there are states that you can't buy it from the grocery store. You can't buy it from a small market, but you can have like a cow share or a goat share where you buy a share oh, of a cow and then that you get to like what you've paid yeah. for up front. Yep. Like if you put, you know, a hundred bucks into their cow, 
you get a hundred dollars worth of milk from it. And then there's states like Iowa that are just so backwards that you can't get it in any of those forms for no reason. I know. I know. Well, look at it. Go, Hey, renegades, go be milk rebels. Go be milk rebels. (laughs) And know your source. Don't just drink raw milk if it's from a gross source. Yeah. You trust the source. Yeah. That is how God made it. So yes, there are places you can get raw milk in Iowa. I will not say what they are because I don't want them to get shut down. Yeah. (laughs) But you can message me privately and I'll I'll just casually mention them yeah (laughs) rebel I I don't care I'm gonna help people get nutrients if it puts me in jail I don't care yeah whatever right come on um so I recommend again for the if you're going to do milk or cheese I recommend that you do raw pasture-raised it's so much more nutrient-dense than regular milk Um, And I also recommend looking at sheep and goat milk products, um, which focus on the A2 protein instead of the A2, A1 protein. Lactose intolerant. Yeah. Well, the A1 protein is really inflammatory. The A2 seems to be less inflammatory to a lot of people. So um, yeah. Or don't, don't do dairy if you don't tolerate it. I'm one of those people, like I don't tolerate cow's milk dairy. I do fine with goat and sheep milk dairy. So obviously no matter how nutrient dense something is, if you don't tolerate it, well, it's not going to benefit your body. Yeah. So nutrient, yeah. Nutrient density. Know thyself. Exactly. Nutrient density is not the be all end all. It's like, here's something that's really nutrient dense and bioavailable. And by the way, like 70% of the population can't have it. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's why it's on my honorable mentions list. It doesn't make the top five because it doesn't matter how nutrient dense it is if it makes everybody sick when they consume it. So, yeah. and then the final on the honorable mentions list was lamb. Lamb. Oh, I mm-hmm. love your own meat. So for, I'll focus now on the individual vitamins, um, that, and then tell you what the top foods were for each of those vitamins in case you're curious. So for vitamin A, okay. the top vitamin A sources included liver, of course, yeah, which included beef, goat, lamb, chicken, and pork liver. Okay. Um, small fatty fish, okay. dark leafy greens, bivalves, which we talked about are the oysters, clams, mussels, that sort of thing, eggs, cow's milk, cheese, and vitamin A rich fruits and vegetables. Okay. Um, which again, it's debatable because there's a large percentage of the population that doesn't absorb that form of vitamin A from fruits and vegetables very well. Oh, there's only a small percentage of the population that does, but anyway, it made the list. So they, they must've taken that into account, but for folate, the top folate sources included liver, <laughs> dark leafy greens, eggs, pulses, which are the beans, peas, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And quinoa. Oh, quinoa snuck in there. For B12, the top B12 sources included organ meats. Are you noticing a theme here? Mm-hmm. <laughs> small, to eat them. yeah. Small fatty fish, bivalves, like oysters and clams and mussels crustaceans like shrimps and crabs and lobsters um beef and pork eggs milk cheese canned fish pork oh i already said pork um yogurt and fresh fish mm, okay because they, they're yummy yeah they separated canned fish and fresh fish in their analysis and then they separated canned fish with the bones from regular canned fish and it was kind of amazing how many orders of magnitude can fish with the bones was um for iron the top iron sources included 
Organ meats. <laughs> Organ meats. Bivalves. Small fatty fish. Goat. And teff. What's teff? Uh, it's like a grain. Okay. It's a type of grain. Okay. Kind of. I don't really consume it because I don't think it's gluten free. I think oh. it contains gluten. So it's just one of the things I don't really think about on a regular basis. But mm-hmm. teff was really high in iron. Mm. Um, for zinc, the top sources included organ meats, organ meats, bivalves, crustaceans, goat, beef, eggs, canned fish with the bones. Okay, a lot of proteiny. Lamb and mutton, cheese and pork. Yes. Okay. You will notice lots of protein. the top sources for all of these things by orders of magnitude were all animal wow. foods, animal-based okay. proteins. Okay. For calcium, the top sources included small fatty fish, dark leafy greens, bivalves, cow's milk, canned fish with the bones, cheese, goat milk, and yogurt. Um, and I would add sesame seeds, which are very high in calcium, which they didn't parse out from regular seeds so seeds overall scored lower but sesame seeds are very high in in calcium and are a good source of calcium and this was the one thing that you'll notice liver organ meats were not at the top of the list for Mm, calcium for calcium okay Mm -hmm. yeah um so bivalves were the only food that contained um at least a moderate density of all six micronutrients for specifically that women of reproductive age group. Wow. Because you notice liver didn't contain the calcium in yeah. high amounts, but okay. bivalves still did. So bivalves were the only ones that had all six in at least moderate or higher. Um, they contained a very high density of all the micronutrients except for folate for which they contained a moderate density. So all the rest of the foods were like very high, very very high, very high. And then there might be one category they were low in like the, yeah, Yeah. but bivalves were very high, very high, very high. And then moderate. Okay. So bivalves is where it's at, but, but in terms of nutrient density, liver still and organ meats still beat out the bivalves because you would have to eat more bivalves to get the same nutrient density that you do in a smaller serving of liver. Okay. That's why that's still number one even though bivalves had the highest nutrient. Okay, I'm going to learn to eat liver. I'll help you. Okay. Um, so like we pointed out, all of the top foods were animal sourced foods and dark leafy greens. Mm. Um, so in order from the most ne- nutrient dense food to the least for the key vitamins, I'm going to go through this list really quickly okay. so that you know where things fall on the list. So this is order from most nutrient dense to okay. least nutrient dense, everything that they looked at. Okay. So number one, liver. And I, when I read my list of the top five, I combined all the organ meats because together yeah. they all made up number one. But they, when you parse them out, liver was the top, then spleen, then small fatty fish, then dark green leafy vegetables, then bivalves, kidney, heart, crustaceans, goat, beef, eggs, canned fish with bones, lamb or mutton, cheese, cow's milk, vitamin A rich fruits and vegetables, other vegetables, yogurt, goat milk, fresh fish, pulses, pork, teff, quinoa, canned fish without bones, 
seeds, chicken, fruits, millet, unrefined grain products, sorghum, roots, tubers, and plantains, whole grains, nuts, refined grain products, and then refined grains. Very bottom of the list. So good. So that was the whole list in order. Yeah, that needs to be your grocery list. Yes. Like, yeah. Yeah. So, but from obviously excluding the foods that are at the bottom. (laughs) Ah, right. 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 Um, That are the least nutrient dense. So that's every food they looked at from most nutrient dense to least. So we can print that list and put it for you in the show notes so you can look at it. You don't have to remember all that. But it was interesting orders of magnitude difference so um for example yeah refined grains which was at the very bottom of their list yeah actually so they the way that they rated things i'll explain why but the lower a number something had the more nutrient dense it was because they rated things in terms of how many grams of a specific food Did you have to eat to get the nutrient density? Got it. So the lower the number of grams was, the more nutrient dense it Mm -hmm. is because you're eating less of the food and getting the same nutrition as you are in something that you're eating many more grams of. So they did it for both. They broke it down in terms of of calories and grams. They had two lists. Okay. I focused on grams because I don't worry about calories. I'm not like... I guess if you were worried about having a low calorie diet, uh, which you shouldn't be, yeah. you would look at that list and be like, okay, I'm going to pick the things that are lower in calories that give me the same number of nutrients. But I like to focus on the grams because a food can be both nutrient dense and calorie dense, yeah. even though the my plate excludes calorie dense foods. And that's how they get their list of top most nutrient dense foods. They look at the foods that are most nutrient dense and the lowest in calories, which uh-huh. is BS in my opinion. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I took the I took the list that they did in grams. So for example, refined grains were okay. so off the charts, they literally didn't have a big enough scale in order to plot them mm-hmm. on the same graph as organ meats. <laughs> That's hilarious. So they just had to cap it at 4,000 grams. Okay. But in reality, it was way more than 4,000 grams. It just was because it was so many orders of magnitude, like more that you would have to consume to get the same amount of nutrition. They had to just cap it. So eat a hundred buns to make sure. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> one hamburger patty. So you would have to eat for more than okay. 4,000 grams of refined grains to equal the nutrition in seven grams of liver. Oh, so more than 500, 570 times as much nutrients in liver than, yeah. Oh my Lanta. Hey there, Renegades. Elaney here, briefly interrupting this episode of the Renegade Nutrition Podcast. I wanted to highlight a company that Kay and I have recently discovered that we love, and that company is Bulletproof. Bulletproof sells high-quality nutritional supplements, and every product that Kay and I have tried from them personally, we have found to be excellent. It's important when you choose a supplement that it contain the bioactive forms in order for it to be effective, and Bulletproof has just the right forms in just the right amount. Right now, if you go to Bulletproof.com and use the code RENEGADE15 at checkout, you can receive 15% off your order. 
That's Renegade, R-E-N-E-G-A-D-E-15. Use that code at checkout to get 15% off and we'll earn a small commission too. Thanks for your support. All right, back to this week's episode of the Renegade Nutrition Podcast. So you, (laughs) yeah, so it's like in order to get the nutrition in seven grams of liver, you'd be eating like Costco's entire selection of hamburger buns. (laughs) I don't think you would feel great after, but that's feel great, but you got your minimum. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and then like a couple other things in perspective, um, like even with whole grains, which are kind of touted as being a lot more nutrient dense. It would take 686 grams of quinoa to equal the nutrition in seven grams of liver. Wow. Or it would take 1,778 grams of fruit to equal the nutrition you find in liver. Oh, wait, I could eat that much fruit. (laughs) (laughs) And it would actually take 1,364 grams of vegetables to equal the nutrition in seven grams of liver. Wow. Okay. Liver, you are now on my grocery list and I don't know how you snuck on there. And so when I say vegetables, what I mean is excluding the dark leafy greens, which obviously were higher. Um, and also excluding, they broke out vitamin A rich fruits and vegetables from other vegetables. So they kind of lumped a lot of things together. So obviously it would be a huge list if they had to break it into beets and asparagus and arugula like if they had to do that they couldn't so they just said dark leafy greens vegetables we know are rich in vitamin a yeah general fruits we know are rich in vitamin a and then everything else all other fruits so when i say you need 1364 grams of vegetables that's vegetables not rich in vitamin a so it's anything on the other list yeah yeah which they didn't parse out in the study and i understand why and that's not to say obviously as we talked about that's not to say only eat liver because right. again, vegetables have a lot yes. of benefits, yes, the fiber, the other fiber nutrients. and phytonutrients yes. and antioxidants, which actually meat has antioxidants in it too. But um, there are a lot of the benefits of the phytonutrients of yeah. the, the like colorful components um, that are in vegetables. Um, and they're loaded with soluble and insoluble fiber, which is not a nutrient to our bodies. but is a nutrient to our gut bacteria. And we need our gut bacteria to digest our food and to produce vitamins and to have healthy like digestion. And so even though soluble and insoluble fiber may not be considered nutrients, Mm -hmm. and so things that contain a lot of it might not be considered nutrient dense, Mm -hmm. it still is food that feeds our gut that we absolutely need. So I'm not saying eat liver and only liver and that's all that matters. Yeah, yeah. Because you do your new diet. Yeah, because truly again, this list was looking at what are the most common micronutrient deficiencies? Yeah. What are the foods that contain those highest yeah. amounts? So just add these in, but the right. but not that Don't swing of the pendulum too far that way. Yeah. Not that anything else isn't important. It just doesn't contain the nutrients of interest to them. Yeah. So I'm definitely suggesting you still need to eat vegetables, but emphasize the dark leafy greens, yes. emphasize the vegetables that are rich in vitamin A, yes. emphasize, and then make sure you're also in that having the organ meats, which are nature's multivitamin yeah, and the bivalves and the crustaceans and the canned fish with the bones yeah. and the beef, like having the emphasizing those foods in your diet, not yeah. that you can't have anything else. Um, I mean, and frankly, it would be 
pretty much impossible to make a list that takes everything into account, like antioxidants, fiber, new, like phytonutrients, prebiotic power, vitamins, minerals, amino acids, polyphenols, omega fatty acids, because like, how do you weigh the value of one of those things against the other? Like who's going to say, oh, bell peppers are better for you because they have more polyphenols. Like, how do we know in human biology that that's more important than say the fatty acids? Like every person is so unique. So like to actually try and create a list that takes all those things into account would be impossible, which is why I really liked this study is they were like, Hey, (laughs) these are the most common nutrient deficiencies. This is what we're going to focus on. This is a doable list to create. And we're focusing on bioavailability. I really thought it was a great way to do it. Um, so, and obviously as we saw in terms of nutrient density, nothing rivals organ meats. Like it just clearly takes the cake on everything. Good. Um, a couple other vitamins of importance, like I said at the beginning, I wanted to mention a few other things that they didn't emphasize in the study, but that I think are really important vitamins for us to get from our diet um, that I think people are commonly deficient in that maybe yeah. just is not recognized because again, from a functional perspective, these might be sort of, these are more emphasized in the functional medicine world and in the conventional medicine world, they're kind of underrated, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. vitamin yeah. E um, is one of the most essential ones. And you can find that in spinach, turnip greens, Swiss chard, sunflower seeds, almonds, bell peppers, asparagus, collard greens, kale, broccoli, and Brussels sprouts. Okay. Um, and make sure you, because vitamin E is a fat soluble vitamin, it's important to eat those foods with fat. So if you're going to have Brussels sprouts, then put olive oil or butter on them Mm -hmm. in order to absorb the vitamin E. Mm -hmm. Vitamin K2, which we talked about in our um, vitamin D episode. um, Some of the best sources of that are um, grass-fed dairy products, aged cheeses, poultry liver, like chicken liver or duck liver, um, pasture-raised egg yolks, and then natto, which is a fermented soybean Mm. product, not common here. Okay. Um, and other fermented foods, which are much more common here. Okay. So kimchi, sauerkraut, that sort of a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, natto is, I have seen pictures of natto. It does not look appetizing to does me, it? but I think if somebody was like, here, you have to try this, I would, but I've heard it has a very strong taste. Oh, okay. I'm curious about it. I would try it. Well, I would try it. Okay. okay we'll try it someday, okay. but I'm scared, <laughs> but it's one of the best. Natto is one of the best sources of MK7, which is the form of, um, that's the menaquinone form of vitamin K. The other form of vitamin K, vitamin K2, the other form of vitamin K2 is, um, MK4. So everything okay. else the pasture-raised egg yolks, the poultry liver, the aged cheese, the grass-fed dairy products, those are all sources of MK4. Natto and fermented foods are sources of MK7. Um, Magnesium, like we talked about at the beginning, Mm -hmm. underrated. Um, The food sources include dark leafy greens, check. (laughs) Molasses, dark chocolate, bananas, pumpkin seeds, almonds, and lentils. I like all those things. And I will caveat by saying, I don't think we can get enough magnesium. Like you can, but it's difficult to get enough magnesium from food. So even with emphasizing those foods in the diet, I still recommend supplementing at least a couple hundred milligrams per day. Um, And then iodine, which 
is something I think, again, is really underappreciated, but so important. Um, and, and iodine deficiency tends to be more common in people who eat a healthy diet because they're not eating the processed foods, which are full of that salt, which are full of iodized salt. Yes. <laughs> so actually my husband just got on this train like a month ago. He's like, Hey, I need more iodine because we started doing sea salt too. And we don't eat a lot of processed foods. So I was like, oh yeah, this is a thing. So now we bought the old fashioned iodized salt that I was raised on and we're pouring it on everything. And I can tell my body's like craving it. Mm. So I, and then we got a little of that seaweed salt sort mm -hmm. of stuff to put on top. Um, and it's delicious. So I just became aware of this. Yeah. So iodine, some of the best sources of iodine are fish and seafood, um, sea vegetables like nori and other seaweeds that you can buy. I like buying the seaweed snacks. Um, you can buy little like cartons of seaweed snacks and they're just little strips of salty, delicious seaweed. Okay. I had that and it tastes like garbage. Oh, I love it. <laughs> you do like it. Okay. Mary had a bad brand or I need to like learn. I don't think mine had really salt on it. Oh. I would need something. I would think you would like it if you like the seaweed salt. Yeah. Um, yeah. the ones I buy are made with olive oil. Okay. So look for the, because they're commonly made with, um, sunflower oil. Mm -hmm. No so don't do that. Don't, don't. Look for one that's made with olive oil. Okay. Um, okay. I'll try a new kind. Like this felt just like eating like a sheet of paper. Like <laughs> no, good. I'll let you try one of mine. Okay. They're okay. good. Yeah. Um, and then although <laughs> that just reminded me, I, my, one of my old coworkers at my, um, previous job, I brought seaweed in for like a snack one time and she was sitting in the break room with me and she, I asked her if she wanted to try some. Cause she was like, what are you eating? Cause yeah. it's just like, you're eating green sheets of paper. Yeah. It is yeah. what it looks like. And I was like, I'm eating seaweed. Do you want to try it? And so she, I gave her a piece to try and she like, <laughs> I will never forget her face, okay. but it like kind of dis disappears yeah. Yeah. in your mouth. Like yeah. it kind of like, and so she was like, I feel like I just ate like flavored air. <laughs> But her face was Very like so disgusting. She was like, this was so weird. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we're gonna try it after this. Well, um, other good sources of iodine are cod, yogurt, milk, and eggs. Again, okay. pasture-raised eggs, pasture-raised milk. Um, and then uh finally omega-3 fatty acids, which are again a really important fat that's essential that we have to get from food. Yep. Um, and from the best sources of that are the small fatty fish, like sardines, mackerel, anchovies, and herring, um, salmon, bivalves, and crustaceans, tuna, grass-fed meat, and grass-fed eggs. Um, and there are plant-based sources of omega-3 fatty acids, but I'll talk about that in just a minute. Um, so things to keep in mind with the information we've presented so far, again, raw dairy has the most benefits and pasteurized has like seven times the nutrients as non-pasteurized. I think looking in terms of like omega-3s, they've shown that yeah. pasteurized beef has like six times the number of omega-3 fatty acids that conventional beef has. Mm. Um, and, and there is like still a lot of individual variations in terms of absorbance and conversion of things like vitamin A from fruits and vegetables or calcium or iron. Every person is different in terms of their own metabolism, how their body breaks down and absorbs those nutrients. So it's, you can't account for that. Yeah. You know, you can just yeah. look at the population in general and the currently known 
absorption. And so it's, yeah, that list isn't necessarily going to be applicable to everybody, but, um, start at a baseline and know how it works for you and try it out. Yeah. Yeah. And then I want to address a couple of misconceptions about nutrient density. Um, especially when we talk about a vegan or vegetarian diet, which I'm just going to preface it by saying, like, I think there are, there are people in the world who thrive on a vegan and vegetarian diet and who do very well on that type of a diet. Mm -hmm. I don't think that labeling a vegan or vegetarian diet as bad is effective or like, honestly, it's just not accurate because there are people who do better eating that way. And I think to just pretend that that's not real is really ignorant. (laughs) So I'm not personally, I, I don't personally recommend a vegetarian or vegan diet, at least a vegan diet, vegetarian, you can have the eggs and some of the dairy products. Um, but, um, I don't personally recommend it, but I, yeah, yeah, for the general public, Mm -hmm. But I recognize that there are well-known athletes and marathon runners and yeah. accomplished people who are killing it. Yeah, who are on a vegan diet and are thriving. Yeah. So I'm not saying you can't. However, yeah. I think there is a lot of individuality to whether that type of diet works for you. And I will just say the majority of people don't have the enzymes and digestive power to benefit from Mm -hmm. that type Mm -hmm. of diet, which is why I don't recommend it overall. Cause without knowing exactly somebody's like digestive and absorption and all of that, like without knowing their metrics, yeah, yeah, I can't safely recommend that type of a diet because I don't know that they'll absorb the nutrients they need from it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So again, there's a lot of things to consider when we look at a population, there's their individual metabolism, there's their digestive health, their gut health, their, their individual probiotic populations, what bacteria are in their stomach, what their genetic factors are, like whether they have receptors for certain forms of vitamins, um, their lifestyle, their stresses, how they sleep, their food sensitivities. And if they have any illnesses, all of those things affect how a person absorbs nutrients from all foods. Um, and, and everybody, as you can imagine is different in some level. Um, so one of the myths is talking about, again, like you can get all the vitamin A you need from vegetables. (laughs) Obviously we just looked at a list where the top five foods were essentially meat-based products, right? Excluding dark leafy greens. I think that it's a common misconception that you can get all the vitamin A you need from vegetables because, um, the, again, like I mentioned, vegetables contain the vitamin A precursors called carotenoids, um, which have to be converted into the usable form of vitamin A in the body. And unfortunately that conversion is inefficient for most people. Okay. Not for all. This is my theory as to why some people thrive on a vegan diet is that they do have really high efficiency in converting that carotenoid form of vitamin A into the usable form of vitamin A. So then they can get what they need from vegetables, but the majority of people cannot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another myth in plant-based diets is that you can get vitamin B12 from fermented foods and brewer's yeast. Um, B12 is exclusively found in animal foods with the exception of some plant foods like nori and wild mushrooms. Some plant foods do contain compounds that resemble B12, 
but they're actually B12 analogs, meaning they have a similar chemical structure, but they don't carry out the same functions as B12. And they do fit into our vitamin B12 receptors, but they block our body from absorbing then real B12. Oh, so they actually contain analogs that look like B12. And it's kind of this rumor like, oh, you can get everything you need from like bruises. Well, actually it contains analogs to B12 that then block the absorption of B12 in your body. Oh, so is that, I tell people that have nutritional yeast. Is that same nutritional yeast? Mm-hmm. Or yeast? Oh, like, yeah. Yeah. Nutritional yeast. Yeah. Okay. They are different. They are different things, but, but yes. The same. It has that blocker for the B12. Oh, but nori does have B12 and wild mushrooms do have B12. So if you can safely forage mushrooms, I guess you're all set, but truly you have to supplement. If you're going to have a vegan diet, that's the one thing that you really have to supplement. Not the one thing you have to supplement everything. If you're on a vegan diet, cause we just talked about, you're not absorbing nearly the same level of nutrients from plant-based foods as you are animal-based foods. So you do have to supplement everything. Yeah. That's just the one that gets the most attention because it's almost impossible to get yeah. in a vegan diet. Um, again, we talked about calcium in a vegan diet you know, like, again, they're saying like, oh, you can get everything you need from spinach and and leafy greens and, and seeds. But again, you'd have to eat 16 servings of spinach right. to get the same amount of calcium yeah. in one glass of milk. So, yeah. and then again, importantly, plants contain certain compounds like oxalates and phytates um, that uh, inhibit calcium absorption. So on top of it not being so bioavailable, you also are adding in oxalates and phytates that bind the calcium and prevent you from absorbing it. Rude vegetables. And same thing with iron. Um, Many plant foods contain a form of iron called non-heme iron. Animal foods contain heme iron. Non-heme iron has to be converted into heme iron in order for the body to use it. So in animal foods, you get the form you need right away. Yeah. It's in the form your body can already use. Yeah. In plants, you get the non-heme form, which has to go through a conversion process to become heme form, Ooh. which is very limited. That conversion process is not very good. We get a very, very small percentage of heme iron out of that non-heme iron. And then the phytates and the oxalates present in plant foods further reduce the absorption of non-heme iron. So... Um, and then with omega-3 fatty acids, sometimes we talk about getting them from chia seeds and flax seeds. They are high in alpha linolenic acid, um, which can be converted into EPA and DHA, which is some of the forms that we need from omega-3 fatty acids. Um, those are the ones that are most essential. So, um, they can be converted into that, but that conversion process is poor. And many people, and it's not like, like I, you know, use flax seeds in our smoothie or salads. They're still good for you. So it's not saying they're not, but the idea that you can get all of the EPA and DHA you need from them for many people is not going to be true because that conversion process of the alpha linolenic acid into the EPA and the DHA is going to be limited. Um, so anyway, again, 
all that under the caveat that there are people who do have really efficient conversion processes that have the right genes for it that do well on a vegetarian or vegan diet. And if you want to try it for a month, go ahead. See how you feel. See how you feel. But I think most people will realize if it doesn't work for them within six, six months to a year, they'll pretty much realize it. Yeah. Same, same. I did the same. I took meat out of my diet for a little bit because I, you know, heard that. And I felt super weak and it wasn't good for me. Yeah. And I was yeah. vegetarian for four years, okay. but I, I was an ovo lacto vegetarian. So I still had eggs and I still had dairy products. And so I always felt good. We have yeah, talked no, about yeah. this, like Kay and I are bioindividuality. I actually don't like, I don't crave as much meat and protein yeah. as yeah. Kay does. Yeah, I do a lot. Yeah. But I definitely feel better if I'm getting adequate protein yeah. and the um, food forms of protein. And then just finally, like one thing I did want to address within this episode is the RDA, which is like the recommended dietary allowance, which is what you see on like, oh, this has 50% of the RDA or hundred percent of the RDA. Um, and that, that value is telling you how much of each nutrient you need per day. <clears throat> um, <laughs> the RDA is a pretty that's recommended daily, recommended daily. That's what we daily all go amount. off of yeah. in the U S. So when we hear like, this is the recommended amount of this nutrient, it's based on the RDAs. Here's the thing. The RDAs were basically developed in order to avoid acute deficiency symptoms. Okay. It does not represent the optimal nutrient intake level. It's like low bar, low bar. <laughs> it was essentially exactly. like exactly. the amount that you need of each nutrient to prevent things like scurvy and rickets. <laughs> like, so it's not like, here's what you need to to, to function thrive. and yeah. thrive. It's like, here's what you need to not, to not die. <laughs> basically. Again, they were actually developed during world war II to create like nutritious ra rations for soldiers. So the RDAs were developed in order to basically say, what's the minimum level of nutrients these soldiers need to not develop like bone disease or to not get scurvy. And that's what our RDAs are based on. And they have updated them since then. Um, but they haven't updated them recently. And here's an interesting fact I heard, <laughs> which is kind of depressing. Um, I, I believe the most recent update to the RDAs was in 1997. So in 1997, the average weight for a woman, which is what RDAs are based on is like weight and yeah, weight and like energy status and all that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, or just like basically body weight. So per body weight, this yeah. is how much nutrient you need. Okay. Yeah. So for women in 1997, the average body weight was 135 pounds. Okay. For men in 1997, the average body weight was 165 pounds. Today, the average body weight for a woman is 165 pounds. Okay. And the average body weight for a man is 200 pounds. Wow. So from 1997 to today, basically the average body weight has increased by 30 pounds. Wow. Which is a side note, but I was like, whoa, that happened in my lifetime. So I was like nine years old in 1997. I'm 33 today. In that time frame, 
our average body weight as a population has increased by 30 pounds. Seriously. And it's like the boiling frog where you didn't even really notice it. Like, I mean, like we kind of know, like as a population, America, like we're a little heavier. We know that, but to actually look and think and be like, well, no, this is a change. It's happening. Shouldn't be happening. So based on those new body weights, the RDAs are not even efficient bare minimum because we're 30 pounds health like heavier. And so (laughs) I'm just like, they already weren't like really designed to promote health. They were just designed to prevent illness. And now we need even more because it's based on body weight. And it really doesn't take into account things like your gender, your age, your health status, like you know, so like a teenage athlete and a middle-aged sedentary person are given the same RDAs. Mm -hmm. So they're not a good value to go off of, but that's what you hear things presented in. Very generalized. So just know that you need to get more than the RDA (laughs) of every nutrient. And I think that's probably why when you look at things like multivitamins, usually it says like, oh, they contain 10,000% of your daily value. And you're like, whoa, that seems crazy. But in reality, you only absorb yeah. A small sure. amount yeah. of that. And your recommended daily value is not actually yeah. like very um, functional yeah. <laughs> and not adequate. So a couple of tips and tricks, as I promised, because I know organ foods are not a um, yeah. common Everybody food. Staple on the I table. will tell you how I, who do not like organ meats, how I have incorporated them into my diet. Um, and one of my favorite ways to do it is we buy organ meat blends. So it's a blend of um, liver. And then it de- depending on which product we buy, you can get a blend of liver, kidney, heart, and ground beef, or you can do just a blend of liver and ground beef. And some butcher shops will do that too. If you're getting like a cow share, you can ask them to blend liver into the to the ground beef because not many people want the organ meats, so they usually have extras of them. Um, I really I like. On board with this. Um, have you ever tried them? No. Okay, it is so undetectable. Truly. Really? So what Christopher and I do, um, because we can eat just a pound of that plain blend, but sometimes what we'll do is we'll mix it in with another pound of ground beef or a pound of ground pork or something like that. And then we have it for the whole week. So we like work our way through that for the whole week. And that's a really good way to, again, just every day you're getting a little bit of organ meats. It's not the same amount as if you were just eating straight up liver, but because I cannot, I just personally don't like straight up liver. I don't like the texture and I don't like the flavor. I've tried it and the mental block, (laughs) the mental block, um, those organ meat blends are a really good way to do it. And you can season them. We do them as taco meat. Sometimes we do them with like Thai seasoning. Sometimes sometimes we do them in a stir fry. So with a little like coconut aminos and ginger and garlic, um, you can make them really tasty. It's a really easy way to get organ meats in. Um, there's also products like Braunschweiger, which us wellness meats, is a company you can buy the organ meat blends from. They sell online. You can buy organ meat blends from them. You can buy Braunschweiger, which is like an organ meat sausage, which doesn't sound particularly good, but it's actually really good. I like it a lot. Um, I'll put that name. Excuse me. We didn't sleep well last night. Yeah. We'll put that name in the show notes to that Braunschweiger. Yeah, Braunschweiger. Um, And then there's head cheese, which 
it's like, like, I feel like you read that more in kind of like British books and things like that, but that's again, another organ meat blend in, in like a sausage. Like so a there's brain. lots yeah. of, um, yeah, it does. I think it contains brain maybe. Um, but there's lots of really tasty ways to get those organ meats in, but my favorite and the most neutral is those organ meat blends that are just mixed with the ground beef already yeah, where you really can't detect it, especially if you're making like spaghetti squash noodles or zucchini noodles and yeah. you're cooking up the ground beef organ meat blend and then you're mixing in a red sauce. Like yeah. you're putting in garlic, you're putting in seasonings, basil and oregano. Like it really is undetectable. And yeah. it, it might be just a little something for you to get used to. But if you have kids, this is the best way to get organ meats in them. Oh, smart. Especially if you start them young on that sort of a thing where that's just what they develop a taste for it. So the younger you can start your kids on organ meats, the more they're going to just be accustomed to that flavor and it's not going to be weird to them. Yes. Um, another way that I really like to get organ, like specifically liver in cod, cod liver, which is really high in vitamins A and D. Um, one of the food sources that's actually rich in vitamin D, which is hard to find. I like cod liver. I mix it into and kill two birds with one stone, <laughs> a can of canned salmon okay. that has the bones in it. So I get bone oh, in okay. skin on canned salmon. You can find it. You just have to read the labels because most of them will say skinless and boneless. Yeah. You have to look for one that says bone in skin on, okay. but it's canned salmon. It's super convenient. Remember on that list, canned fish with bones was orders of magnitude better for you than canned fish without bones. Mm. So I will like mix that in, mix a can of cod liver. I do the I can brand from Amazon. I'll link it. Um, we're not affiliated with them or anything. I just think it's a really good source of cod liver. They literally just are like, they're pretty benign. Like they, they mostly taste like tuna to okay. me. To me, they taste, they have the flavor and the coloring of tuna. So it's really easy to mix it into a can of tuna or a can of canned salmon. And then I just chop up some pickles. I chop up celery. Um, I add in some garlic. I add in mayo and I just make it like, like a, a like a salmon salad. Yeah. Um, and I can't pick out the, the, the cod liver in okay. it. It doesn't have like, that I know it sounds just, like it's yeah. going to have a terrible flavor. It really just doesn't. It doesn't have any sort of liver flavor that I can detect and I can detect it yeah. <laughs> in most things. So that's one of my favorite ways. Those are my two yeah. favorite ways to do it. So I like the Braunschweiger. I like the meat blends, the organ meat blends and having that a couple times a week. And I like the canned tuna or canned salmon with the cod liver. Okay. Especially if it has the bones in that. Those are my recommended ways of getting okay. in organ meats. And I think they're pretty Beautiful. neutral because yeah. yes, I tried after like reading, I mean, back when I was in school several years ago, I was just learning how nutrient dense oh, liver yeah. is for you. So I just went like whole hog and I was like, bought like a pound of beef liver. And I read this, this recipe that they're like, Oh, this is the best way to eat liver. And you marinate it in soy sauce. And I did everything they said to, and then yes. they're like, it will not taste like liver at all. And I was like, I can't eat it. Smelling it and cooking it. And I was like, I couldn't do it. My <laughs> husband, my husband actually like ate a few more bites than me. Like he was better with it, but yeah. I was like, I can't do this. Uh, my husband's grandpa eats all of that. Like he loves it off the farm. He just yep, ate liver today and heart. And he, yeah, lived in his nineties. So there's something to it. I yeah. Just, I got to get on board. Otherwise with the other foods, like the small fatty fish that were so high in so many things, um, I like 
doing like dressings with anchovies in them. That's a really easy way. Just throw a whole jar of anchovies in there, blend it up, make like an Italian dressing. Um, I like doing, I'm not a big fan of some of the ones like herrings or mackerel that just tend to have a a fishier flavor, but I will say of all of them, mackerel is the most mild and you could try making a, like the recipe that I just said I do for like the salmon salad. You could do that for mackerel, just mix it up with chopped pickles, chopped onions. Um, it's good with capers. I've done it. Um, pickles, onions, capers, celery, mayo, and mackerel is actually pretty good okay. with that, but it still just has, I, it, I can't do it as often. It has a more intense fish, fishy flavor for me, but those are the best ones. So herrings, anchovies, mackerels, um, what's the one I'm missing? Salmon, tuna, whatever. Shark. The small, the small, <laughs> not, definitely not shark. That does not qualify as a small fatty fish. <laughs> Um, and those ones too are the lowest in toxins because they're bottom of the food chain, those small ones. So the herrings, mackerel, anchovies, sardines, that's sardines. the one I was missing. Yes, yes, sardines. Yes, yes. Those are all the lowest in the, um, in those toxins yeah. and nutrients as opposed to like tuna, which is higher in those, those nutrients. If you're going to do tuna, I recommend the safe catch brand that they test every fish for all the heavy metals. Um, anyway, so that's, a, that's how I get those in, try those small yeah. fatty fish. The easiest way is dressing where you can't even taste it. And then you can put it on your dark leafy green salad yeah. and you're getting your small fatty fish and yeah. you're getting your dark leafy greens and the dressing could be delicious. I think anchovies just add such a nice salty, mm. umami, savory flavor yeah. without adding a ton of fish flavor. Like yeah. they're not a very fishy, their fish flavor is different to me yeah. than other fish. Um, and then a good way to, let's see, what else do we need to get into our diet? Um, shellfish. That one for me isn't hard. I love scallops. They're in that list. Oysters, like if you can get them raw, the yep. better. You can, it's hard. I don't like them, but you, yeah. <laughs> I, get a, I get a rash if I eat them. So oh I'll yeah, don't do it if you're allergic to them. Some people are are very allergic to bivalves and to shellfish. So don't do that, of course, yeah. if you're allergic. But, no. um, and then, yeah, eating your shrimp, which most people like, crab, yeah. lobster. It's a good like excuse that. to work that into your diet. So lots of organ meats, lots of seafood. I mean, basically two of the top five are some form of seafood. So getting in that seafood is really important. Yeah. I love those. I'll do that. So, and then, yeah, with the bone in fish, again, look, just look for the cans. Let's say they're bone in skin on, and that's a really easy way. You cannot, to me, I can't detect the bones. If you mix it up into like Mm-hmm. with those ingredients into like a bit of a, like a, a salad, like a tuna, tuna or salmon salad. I recommend the salmon with the yeah. bone in, um, you can't detect the bones. It's not like big crunchy bones, you know, yeah. they're like little teeny tiny yes. slivers, slivers, undetectable bones. So I like doing that because it's a really easy way to get all of the benefits of the bones from the fish without yeah, yeah. just powering through fish bones, yep. but you can also make it. like a fish stock and take, you know, Okay. fish bones and make a fish stock. But. Okay. Gosh, I haven't heard of that one. We'll have to do that. You have to do a little Instagram video on it. I've never made it, but I do want to try it. Okay. I just feel like it's going to really make our kitchen smell like fish, but that's fair. Supposedly if you do it right, it doesn't, but okay. we'll see. We will. If I do it, we'll make an Instagram video. on yes. it. Yep. I like that. <laughs> but yeah, that's okay. my tips and tricks. So yeah, try it out. Fair. We'll put some links in the show notes with, yep. with products. I recommend, um, to do the organ meat blends. Okay. And to do the can 
canned fish with the bones in them. So good. I'm always very inspired after these. On my way home, I want to stop by the grocery store and pick up some things for lunch for the kiddos. So okay, yeah. Well, Natural Grocers, yes, has yeah. has the ground beef and liver blend. Okay, and okay. we got it from there, and it was really good. Okay, so I would recommend that for sure. Yep, that's a quick pick me up. Oh, it was so good. This is so, I just thought I was sitting here and I was like, it's like I get like free schooling about nutrition, just being able to sit here. I was like, I saved a lot of money just listening to her. Go yeah. to <laughs> I learned a lot of what I did after school. I mean, obviously I learned a lot in school, yeah. but it's been all of my research and reading post-graduating that has really formed your formed my, yeah. yeah, a lot of my opinions and enlightened me I mean you just can't cover it all in school in school you learn everything textbook you know in real life you deal with people who don't fit textbook and so you just are forced to learn a lot more because you you don't get the benefit of like oh when this person has this illness this is what their blood work will look like and this is what their stool will look like like that doesn't happen in real life so yeah in school you get the benefit of just learning patterns and what to look for in real life you get the opportunity to learn about bioindividuality and the challenge of, gosh, I did this dietary recommendation for this person and it transformed and revolutionized their health and they thrived. And then I did the same thing for this person and they did not. So, okay. And then finding more hints to find what they need. Yep. Yep. Good. Well, I am so appreciative and thank you so much. I'm going to go home and eat liver. Yeah. I mean, give it a shot. I'll try Try that ground blend. Yeah. Yeah. And seriously, if you're trying it for the first time, just take a pound of that liver meat blend and mix it with a pound of regular yep. ground like beef. work it in yeah work it in increase the amount of liver for exactly yeah. and then you can get used to the taste and we like doing that anyway because it gets us further through the week you know gives us like four or five meals yep. instead of two or three yep. so we like yep. to do that anyway yeah Okay. Well, thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Go guys. Be renegades. Go be renegades. Thank you for listening to the Renegade Nutrition Podcast. Please keep in mind that this podcast is an educational service that provides general health information. The content on this podcast is not a substitute for direct, personal, professional medical care and diagnosis. You should always talk to your doctor before making a dietary or lifestyle change. Go be renegades! Go be renegades!